Oh God, you are here and we are here. May we be here together. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you. I don't know if it looks fuller because we blocked off more rows, and so therefore everyone's scrunched up closer, but the pews are still... Anyhow, um, I've had some people say, Father Rick, I can't hear you when you preach. Uh, I can't see your lips move and can't see your face. So is there anything you can do and take that mask off? And I was like, um... So I'm trying to practice as much safe social distancing as possible so that it still keeps you safe. So I hope this works. Um, anyhow, um, it's good to see everyone. And hello, YouTube land. We love you from the folks at Canuga And we got people at Arden's Court today. Lots of places around. So we just want to say hello and welcome you. Um, anyone uh, familiar with a, a writer named Shel Silverstein? Yeah, okay, good. I get some nods. You know, he's one of the uh, most known children's authors of our time. And he wrote a poem called, entitled, What If? What If? And he presents this playful presentation of our fears and our struggles and the uncertainties that sometimes haunt us at night. But he does so, like most of his things, through the eyes of a child. Now listen. Last night, while I lay thinking here, some what-ifs crawled inside my ear and pranced and partied all night long and sang their same old what-if song. What if I'm dumb in school? What if they've closed the swimming pool? What if I get beat up? What if there's poison in my cup? What if I start to cry? What if I get sick and die? What if I flunk the test? What if green hair grows on my chest? What if no one likes me? What if a bolt of lightning strikes me? What if I don't grow tall? What if my head starts getting small? What if the fish won't bite? What if the wind tears my kite? What if they start a war? What if my parents get divorced? What if the bus is late? What if my teeth don't grow straight? What if I tear my pants? What if I never learn to dance? Everything seems well. Then the nighttime, what ifs, strike again. What if? I think it seems that at some point that we have all in our lives been attacked by the what-ifs. The what-ifs, right? What if? Worry is insidious, invisible. It's a relentless scavenger roaming in the corners of our mind, feeding on anything that it seems to find, and everything seems swell until the secret fears often inside us start to take over. And isn't it interesting, this usually happens at night when we're quiet and it's dark. And all of a sudden, all of that stuff starts creeping in. And the what-ifs, right? This entire world has been enveloped by a pandemic 
that has affected not just millions of people, but literally billions of people all over the world. And it has so many people trapped inside the what-ifs of life. And so as we attempt to practice social distancing to stay safe, right, our lesson from Paul this morning in the letter to Romans remind us that no matter what our situation in life, no matter the what-ifs of life, there is nothing that can distance us from God's knowing us, presence with us, and love for us. And this is really, really important because if we can get this in our bones, in our souls, it will change fundamentally the way that we encounter life. Listen to what Paul says here. Now you've got to know, Paul wrote 75% of the New Testament. Paul also was one, believe it or not, that understood persecution, suffering. As you know, he was often hungry. He was starved. You and I visited the prison where he was held in chains, right? Um, he was uh, beaten, and he was eventually martyred. So Paul understood this world and the life of suffering and the what-ifs. But Paul also had a deep, 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 profound experience of Christ. So much so that it was like they were one. And he was just enveloped in the spirit of God. And so Paul writes these beautiful words. He says, the Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty to empower us in weakness. You know, we spend so much of our lives trying to construct a fortress around our hearts, our minds, our world, sometimes even our countries, and our lives in an effort to stay safe, in an effort to forgive this perception of power and control. And yet, the what-ifs still creep in there, don't they? Paul says that the Holy Spirit takes hold in our human frailty, in our, empowers us in our weakness, not where we're strong, not where we feel safe and secure, but in the places that we feel weak and vulnerable, in the what-ifs of life. Then he goes on to say, for example, at times we don't even know how to pray or even the best things to ask for. But he says the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede on our behalf. God, he says, the searcher of all the hearts, knows fully our longings, yet he also understands the desires of the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, listen, passionately pleads before God for us, His holy ones, in perfect harmony with God's plan for our destiny. That is a mouthful, and it has some deep, 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 as I said, significance for our lives. Just like the poem says, when the what-ifs of life crawl inside our ear and start 
prancing and partying all night in our head and we feel overpowered by worry and fear and life's challenges and pains and sufferings and persecutions that the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, is literally interceding on our behalf. When we don't have the words because life is overwhelming us, God and the Holy Spirit is still there interacting, interceding on our behalf. That is profound, wouldn't you say? How many of you, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you ever give thought to the fact that God in His profound love knows you deeply that you belong to God in your baptism, that we become the adopted children of God, right? That we're sealed and marked as Christ owned forever. That we literally are, we belong to God. That we are God's possession. Now, how many of you think that God, whom we belong to, is interceding by His Spirit, by Jesus, on our behalf? Isn't that profound? Are y'all tracking with me or you want me to just kind of end this thing? Isn't that profound? When we're lying in the hospital bed too ill to speak, when someone we love is suffering so intensely that we're too numb to articulate our thoughts, when we're not sure if we should be asking God to relieve us of our pain or give us the strength to endure it, when we're at loss, when we're, when we're numb, and the words don't come. Our inability to pray doesn't stop God's unfolding will in our lives is what Paul is saying. In those times, he says, the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God on our behalf. That blows my mind. Did y'all hear that? When you're overwhelmed by life, when you're numb, and the words don't come, and you don't even know where to begin, you're never alone. For you belong to God, that you are God's sacred possession. And the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, passionately pleads to God on your behalf. Wow. That blows my mind. That blows my mind. And I need to sit and be with that and be reminded that I do belong to God. And that God is truly for me. Paul then claims, listen to this. He goes on to say, I am convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. I am convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan. There is something happening that we can't see behind the scenes, if you will, right? That God is at work even when we're unaware of it. God is not indifferent to what happens to us, but is ceaselessly, energetically, and purposely active in our lives. 
I think about my father who was diagnosed at can- with stage 4 terminal cancer at the age of 65. And the doctor said, you've got a few months to live, so go do everything you've ever wanted to do. Well, that's why he was waiting for retirement for, right? Because he could spend the next 30 years doing that. And I thought, how unfair. But you want to know something? God didn't give my dad cancer. God doesn't bring destruction on us. But you want to know something? God definitely, definitely was at work in my father's life, weaving my father's life together because my father was changed by this. It just transformed his heart, the grace and the love and the mercy of God. And here's the crazy thing. It's like that pearl of great price that the merchant had been looking for back and sold everything that he possessed to buy the pearl or like he found the treasure in the field and everything that he had he went back and he sold it and he went and bought the field my father experienced that treasure called the kingdom of God and it was everything that he'd ever wanted God was involved in that it's mind-boggling but Paul says that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good news into our lives. For we are His lovers. Everything we say, everything we do, everything people do to us and say about us, every experience we will ever have are all sovereignly used by God for our good. Now, We'll not always understand how the things we experience work for good, and we'll certainly not always enjoy them. The Lord knows that is true. But nothing, Paul is saying, nothing comes into our lives that God cannot and will not use for His altruistic purposes and our ultimate good. This is really good news, isn't it? We can be assured of God's love, Paul says. God is with us. God is for us. And we belong to God forever. Despite what ifs of the world. What are our ifs? Whatever our what ifs are. Despite any of those. We belong to God, Paul says, forever. We are His sacred possession. And if we belong to God, Paul asked this question then, who then would dare accuse those whom God has chosen in his love to be his? In other words, Paul says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? And he says, no one, no one, God, after all, has given us his son and will give all things to us with him. That's profound. God so loved the world that God entered fully into our world. If God is for us, who can be against us? Paul says, no one. Who can bring a charge against us, Paul asks? No one. God has already declared us to be right and holy in His sight. Do you see yourself as right and holy in God's sight. Well, here's the crazy thing. As those who have been adopted and baptized into the life of Christ, who have been sealed and marked as His for own forever, as we say in our baptism, 
that the righteousness of Christ, Paul is saying, has been imparted to us so that we stand in the righteousness of Christ, not because of what we do or what we possess or how good we are or how many times we go to church or if we wear our mask in public or any of those things. And that's really important, by the way. But because of God's profound love. So when God looks at us, God sees the righteousness of Christ that's been given to us. Who will condemn us? No one. Jesus died, was raised and exalted and intercedes for us now. Who shall separate us, he asked, from his love? No one, nothing, though many will try. And I think the thing that tries to separate us from God's love for us mostly is our guilt-plagued consciousness. Nothing in this universe, Paul says, has the power to diminish his love toward us. For God in the, in, in, nothing in the universe. For God spared not his own son, but gave him up for us all. Paul is saying that he's come for us. Now we stand as more than conquerors through him who loved us. There are no what-ifs that you will face in life that can separate you from the love of God. Not a broken romance, not a financial hardship, not COVID-19, not cancer, not Alzheimer's, not depression, not your weaknesses, not your inadequacies, not your loneliness, not your mistakes, not your fears, not your uncertainties, not even tragedy, and not even death. Nothing, Paul says, absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of God made visible in Jesus Christ our Lord. Although at times our hands, our grip, our hold on God may be frail, God has his grip on you and will not let you go. God loves us, Paul says, and God is for us. And absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God for us in Jesus Christ. For you and I and we belong to God. Now here's the deal. I want to be convinced of this. I want to be convinced of this. I want to trust it from the depths of my being and never forget it and hold it in my soul so that when the what-ifs come and try to rob me of my joy, that try to rob me of my peace, that try to rob me of my identity, I can remind myself, no, there is nothing, nothing in this world, nothing, no what-if, they can take away my identity, that I am his beloved. And so when we hold fast to these words today, may we hold fast to this unshakable conviction and live in the confidence and the comfort and the joy of the reality that we belong to God and that we are loved forever. Amen.